So please turn in your Bible, if you have it with you today, to Luke chapter 2. And if you don't, um, you might find there's supposed to be like two in every row. In the back of one of the chairs in front of you, um, there should be a Bible available there. So if you don't have your own Bible, we have one for you this morning. And you can find our text for today, which will be from Luke 2 on page 856, if you're using one of our chair Bibles. And that's, that's where we'll be, Luke 2. We're actually in a series uh, through the Gospel of Luke and really excited to have landed in Luke chapter 2 this morning. So if you're a guest with us today, let me add my welcome to you. We're so glad that you are here with us. We believe it's no accident that you are here with us today. And I trust that you've sensed already that we're gathered today to celebrate what Jesus accomplished for us through his life through his death and his resurrection, that even now he lives at his father's side praying for us, that our faith wouldn't fail, and he sent his spirit to live in us, and one day he will return. He is coming back for us. This is the gospel, the good news of salvation for everyone who trusts in him. And without today's story, without the story of Jesus' birth, we wouldn't have this gospel at all. So this is an important, a necessary part of the story. It really happened, and it really happened this way. The gospel story begins with the birth of the Savior. And this story, though, quite familiar, and probably anybody in here could get up, and maybe you'd be a little afraid about getting up, but you could, you could tell the story. I think even though it's quite familiar to us, it has something to teach us about who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. So please listen carefully. Jenny Frank is going to come now and read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Luke 2, 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration while Creus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and lied him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us through it. We thank you that your word reveals to us your son. And we thank you for how his glory is revealed even in this story of his birth. And we ask that today you would help us to see him for who he is. And like the shepherds did, to worship him. Would you do that? I, I can't do that. Holy Spirit, come and help. Help me say what's helpful and not say what's not helpful. Um, help each of us as we hear your word to listen with eagerness and with joy at the good news of salvation that we have through Christ. So would you come and do that? Do what you do and show us how great Jesus is. Would you save? Would you change us today into the people that you want us to be? In Jesus' name, amen. The big idea this morning from this story of our Savior's birth is this. The promised Savior is born in humility and destined for glory to bring us peace. The promised Savior is born in humility and destined for glory to bring us peace. Again, Luke grounds this story in real time, in real space. He says that this really happened. He gives us some historical markers. So the last thing that had happened in the story is that John the Baptist had been born and been named. Uh, Before that, Jesus' birth had been announced and then um, celebrated with the Magnificat by Mary, his mother, And then Luke 2 starts very simply. These first seven verses, the story of his birth itself, Luke tells with astounding simplicity. We would wonder about more details. Tell us what happened. And you can find all sorts of uh, embellishments and trying to flesh out what this would look like. But Luke tells it very simply. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of of Syria. And so it goes on to say that everyone went to be registered. They went back to the town of their birth. This is not a once upon a time story. This is not, oh, something needed to happen and, oh, there was this once upon a time, it happened like this and the Savior came. And we go, isn't that sweet? Isn't that a nice sentiment to be shared in the middle of winter? No, this is a real story that really Happened. Jesus was really born. In fact, the census accounts for how Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem. Jesus, even in the first century and into the second century, there were theories that he just appeared to be human. And this story flies in the face of that. He didn't just seem to be a person, didn't seem to be human. He really is. He was really born like anyone else. This isn't, boy, it would be neat if this were true. This is, no, it's true. This is real. The promised Savior is born in humility 
and destined for glory to bring us peace. And it really happened. So let's look first at the idea of the promised Savior. When we say he's the promised Savior, what do we mean by that? Well, we see that this one who is born is the promised Savior. We see that most clearly in the announcement of the angels to the shepherds. In verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. First, Jesus is called the Savior. He's the promised one. He's called a Savior, and he's a Savior because we need one. He's a savior because we need one. That's something that perhaps we tend to forget in the middle of this season. Especially if things are going well for you and you feel like, oh, I have enough money to buy all the Christmas presents that I want to buy for the people that I want to buy Christmas presents for. And if, especially if life is going well, we can think, okay, well, this is, it's really neat that Jesus came and we can forget that we needed him to come. We needed a Savior because of our sin. Sure, this is a story about his birth, but it's a story that reaches all the way back to Genesis 3. All the way back to the fall. All the way back to the infection that is in every single one of us. And no matter how many times we wash our hands, we will never be clean of this infection on our own. The angel signals what Jesus came to do. He came to rescue sinners. A savior is not a savior if there's no one to save. If everyone's fine, we don't need a savior. If we're not in trouble, we don't need a savior. And we don't just need a savior from the dark forces around us and the evils out there. We need a savior Because of what is in here. We need a savior from our own sin. Someone who will come and take care of it. Not just deliver us politically. That's where the first century Jews got it wrong. They looked at themselves as the faithful and the Messiah is just going to change our situation and make everything better. And we can fall for those same kinds of tricks today. If we can achieve a certain status, if we can achieve a certain recognition, then everything will be okay. But no, the problem of sin in us and in others remains. We don't just need a political savior. We need one who will take care of the biggest problem that we have. And the good news is this savior has been promised from the very beginning. He's a savior because we need one. But he's also called the Christ says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Now, we may be familiar with this as kind of like being Jesus' last name, right? You see that a lot, Jesus Christ, or you see just Christ used, especially in Paul's letters or in Hebrews. But Christ is not a name, it's a title, It's the New Testament way, the Greek way of saying the Old Testament word, Messiah. 
And so the one that had been promised for generations, the one that had been looked to for generations, someone is coming who's going to be anointed by God. That's what Messiah means. He's anointed by God to do God's work, to be God's servant who will save God's people. The Messiah is the one that all Israel was waiting for. The one who would rescue them, they thought, from Roman rule and usher in an era of lasting peace and prosperity. The use of the word Christ to describe Jesus shows that God is keeping his word to rescue his people. This word Christ is a signal. The thing we've always been waiting for, he's here. He's here. He's come to do all those things that the Messiah would do. The one that we've been hoping for. He's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. It's mentioned that he was born in the city of David. That is important to the story. That Joseph and Mary didn't stay in Nazareth. That the census actually moves them down to Bethlehem. Because that's where Joseph's family was from. He was of the house. He was of the line of David. And so this is keeping a promise that the Lord had made to David hundreds of years before. That you will always have someone to sit on the throne. Not just that his line will keep going, but there will be one who will sit there forever in unending rule. God is keeping his word to rescue his people. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior that we need. He's the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, and he is the Lord. That he is the Lord means that God himself has come down. Zechariah's song, uh, just a few verses before this, in verse 76 of chapter 1, he says that John will go before the Lord to prepare his Ways. And now the angel is saying, This one who's born this day, he's Jesus, he's Christ, he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, and he is the Lord. This title, the Lord, used here in Luke, means the Lord, the God of the Old Testament. That that very God is coming down in Jesus to save his people. He's not just a savior. He's not even just a Messiah, though that would have been great. He is God himself, the Lord, Yahweh, that covenant-keeping God, come down to save us. He is Lord of all. He is the promised Savior, the one who will save the one who will rescue, the one who will rule. A key takeaway from this first point that he's the promised Savior is that God fulfills his word and keeps his promises. God fulfills his word and keeps his promises. It's what we've been seeing already in the first chapter of Luke, that almost everything is reaching back to the Old Testament And particular texts that tell us this is who he will be. Even this is who John will be as the one who prepares the way of the Lord. And as Luke continues the story, 
that theme continues as well. We can count on God's word. He fulfills his word. He keeps his promises. And he even does that for the shepherds in this story, right? The angel says, I'm going to give you a sign. You're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and cloths and lying in a manger. Now, it's not uncommon to find a newborn in, a, in swaddlers, right? And that, that's what we do. He probably didn't have you know, the white and blue and pink striped one that is in hospitals like everywhere now. I'm pretty sure he didn't have that. What would have been unique is not that he was swaddled. It's what everyone does with a newborn down to this day. What would have been unique is that he's in the manger. That's odd. That's different. And the angel says, that's where you'll find him. And they're like, let's go see. And then it's recorded. They found Joseph and Mary and the baby lying in a manger. God himself kept his word to the shepherds. This birth is him keeping his word to his people. He fulfilled his word to Zechariah. You will have a son and you will name him John. He kept his word to Mary. You will have a baby. And she's like, but how? You will. The Holy Spirit will work. Keeps his word to the shepherds. And in doing this, he's keeping his word to David. All the way back from 2 Samuel. Promising you will have a son on the throne. But even further back, he's keeping his promise to Abraham that in you, in your offspring, this one, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But even further back to Adam and Eve, God is fulfilling his word in this birth that someone would come to crush the head of the serpent. He would have his heel bruised for sure, but he would crush the head, striking the decisive death blow. So God fulfills his word and keeps his promises. But of course, he doesn't do it in the way that we expect. Isn't that just like God? Right when we think we have them all figured out, this is how he's going to work, right? This is where he's leading in my life. Do I understand how he works at all? You ever feel that way? His people here certainly felt that way. God fulfills his word in a surprising way. Because this promised Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah, God himself come down, is born in humility. The promised Savior is born in humility, in humble circumstances. He's born to a lowly family. Joseph and Mary are just a poor family from an unimportant village up north. You remember Nathaniel and John 1 saying, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You can insert your own town there. I want to be careful, especially on a day when we'll have guests, because somebody's going to be from wherever I pick as the bad place that everyone doesn't like. But you get the idea. You, you think of your place. You go, can anything good come from there? It's this little town. There's no prophecies about Nazareth. That's not an important place. His family was not from an important place, and they were not an important family. In fact, they're being pushed around by the government. Caesar, the man who thinks he is king of the world, unwittingly sets events in motion to usher in the king of the universe in fulfillment of God's promise. Because Jesus 
wasn't supposed to be born in Nazareth, where his family lived. He was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, another insignificant town. We think of it as significant because Jesus was born there, David was born there, and even, even then it was known as the city of David, but it was small. You remember the prophecy of Micah 5.2 about Bethlehem. It's too little to be counted among the clans of the people, but from you will come the ruler. And so Bethlehem, even after David, is just it's a little small town place. It's not important. It's not significant. It's only significant because God says that it is. He was born to a lowly family from a small town. Unimportant. They're, they'll give the, the offering that the poor bring when he's dedicated next week. He's born to a lowly family. He's born in a lowly place. Not just that Bethlehem was a small town. Jesus was born in extremely humble circumstances. The Son of God. God himself come down to earth. I mean, where should he be born? Right? But he wasn't born in a palace. He wouldn't be born in a hospital. He wouldn't even be born at home. He wouldn't be born in a building at all, at least not one meant for people. This family on the margins of society is being pushed around by the government, then shoved to the margins of a marginal town of Bethlehem, where Mary's cries of pain were probably matched by the cries of the animals. Manger scenes are so cute that sometimes we forget there was nothing cute about Jesus' birth. We sing Silent Night. I know we sang it this morning. We're going to sing it again tomorrow night with candlelight. It's going to be so sweet. And the kids will be trying not to burn the building down. And we'll be really glad if they don't do that. Don't burn the building down. We sometimes forget how difficult these circumstances were. For those of you who've had children of your own and you've had them in a hospital or a birthing center... Or if you didn't get there in time, you had them at home. You think about what that's like with all the modern conveniences that we have. And they had nothing like that. They didn't even have all the modern conveniences then. Whatever conveniences they would have had, they didn't have them available. They're far from home. They've recently completed an arduous journey of over 100 miles And not going 70 miles an hour in a car, right? That's on foot or on a donkey in the last couple weeks of pregnancy. Like, don't sign me up for that, right? It's not what we would do. And it's what they did because they're the poor people who had to go where they were told to go when they were told to go there. They're all alone. They're far from home. This is not at all what you would expect for the birth of a king. He was born to a lowly family. He was born in a lowly place. And even the announcement of his birth was made to lowly shepherds. We sang about it this morning. Even his birth announcement came to guys who were low on the social ladder. Right? I mean, the angels could have shown up at the palace to say, Hey, the real king's here. You better get ready to bow. Right? 
Could they have done that? Absolutely. But who does God choose to give his good news to first? Simple working men. Who are dirty, like tending sheep. You know, we, we kind of romanticize that as well, especially, you know, the Lord is our shepherd. We're not going to want. He takes care of us like a shepherd does. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Even uh, leaders in the church, pastors, that's a word that's, taken from shepherding imagery. And so shepherds, we kind of tend to honor them. But you think about what that actually entailed. Uh, it wasn't pretty, and it wasn't clean. It wasn't pleasant. These were not the men you invite to dinner. These were not the men that you invite to sit in important places. They were not important people. They were the people who made sure the sheep lived. They weren't important and they're exactly the kind of people that God says I'm sharing the big news first with them and I think that's part of the point even the announcement of Jesus birth demonstrates his humility and as we'll see in the rest of Luke the kind of people that he came to save a key takeaway here from his birth in humility is that God cares about small people in small places In the birth of Jesus, God identifies with us. Yes, God knows how to use major world events to put his people exactly where he wants them to be. Caesar's census, where he's showing his power, finding out how many people are here and how how much can I get from them in the way of taxes. His census facilitates the fulfillment of centuries-old promise about the birthplace of the Messiah. And the same God who orchestrated all this so that Jesus could be born in just the right town at just the right time cares about us, cares about you, cares about me. What you're doing or where you are in your life may not be where you expected to be at this point. You might feel pushed around by forces wholly outside your control. God can use you where you are. Sometimes his most important work is done in quiet, out-of-the-way places. So if you feel really alone, you feel really lost, you feel like, this can't be what I was made for. Whatever seems pretty obvious is God's calling on my life right now can't really be what I was made for. It's too small. It's with too small a number of people that I get to help. I don't even feel like I'm a help at all. God's most important work is often done in quiet, out of the way, unknown, unseen places. I think we will see on the last day many simple faithful people brought forward for honor, even before the the important Christians that you know. Even now, the kingdom of God comes in a different way than we expect. He doesn't need celebrities to be Christians. He doesn't need big, important pastors who are well-known. He's calling each one of us to be faithful followers right where we are, taking the next step that he's called us to take in trusting him and then in following him in obedience. So don't give up. Keep trusting him 
day by day. Keep serving him in the place that he has you. Not a minute of it is wasted. So Jesus, the promised Savior, is born in humility. But God can't just let this day go by without sending some angels to announce the birth to someone, right? And this gives us a hint of the praise that Jesus will receive forever. This promised Savior who's born in humility is destined for glory. He is destined for glory. In those days, Caesar was an almost godlike figure. Official announcements about his exploits, his victories, contained words like Savior and Lord. The same words that the angel uses to describe Jesus. In this announcement by the angels, God is saying the real Savior is here. Caesar tells you he's a savior to keep you under his thumb. He tells you he's the Lord and he kind of feels like he is. And maybe you even feel like he is. But the Lord of the universe is here. The real king is here. The one who's really in charge is here. The angels are heavenly heralds announcing the glory of the true king. He's announced by angels who sing glory to God in the highest And then he's worshipped by shepherds, these ones who first heard the good news. And the response of the shepherds is an important part of the story, especially as we consider what what is our part. They believed the announcement of the angels. They received it as the word of God. They said, let's go over and see this thing that the Lord has told us. They went to see, and when they saw They worshipped. And when they went away, they couldn't keep it to themselves. As we sang about earlier and Tim exhorted us earlier, we can't keep this to ourselves. They told everyone they came across what they had seen, what they had heard from the Lord. And they kept on glorifying and praising God. Jesus, on that first night, even being born in humility, is announced by angels and we, do, we like to do birth announcements, right? None of us get a birth announcement like this. He's worshipped by shepherds, and it's because he is worthy of praise from everyone. Jesus, the promised Savior who's born in humility, is destined for glory. He is worthy of praise from everyone. And again, in showing that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, it works exactly the opposite of the way we tend to think This baby is destined for glory because of his humility. He's destined for glory because of his humility. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that Jesus humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. That he humbled himself all the way to obeying his father through the death of the cross. And then he says, therefore. God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A key takeaway here is that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is worthy of all glory and praise. God is worthy of all the praise that we can bring 
all the songs that we can sing, all the glory that we can give him. And when we give it to him, we don't add anything to him. We just acknowledge what is true. This baby who was born in humility would live in humility, serving us by his obedient life and by his sacrificial death in our place. And on the third day, he rose in glory and even now is exalted to the Father's side. We don't yet see everything under his feet, but one day we will. He will return and he will get from everyone the glory that he deserves. He is worth worshiping. He is worth praising. And by his grace, we will do that forever. And he's worth proclaiming now. Jesus did all this. He did all this so that we can know him and glorify him now and forever. This promised Savior is born in humility and destined for glory to bring us peace. We see this in the last part of verse 14, where the angels all together say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, that's here, peace among those with whom he is pleased. He came to bring us peace. First, peace with God. And it's a reminder that not everyone experiences this peace. It says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We'll see even in next week's text that Jesus doesn't only bring peace, but he brings division. He divides between those who trust him, those who hope in him, those who belong to him, and those who don't. Not everyone experiences his peace. Do you know the peace of Christmas? It's not just a feeling that we have in our heart because everything's all pretty all around us and everything's all lit up and beautiful. It's not just a feeling we have in our heart. The peace of Christmas is reconciliation with God through Jesus. Paul says in Colossians 1.20 that through Jesus, God is reconciling all things to himself, having made peace by the blood of his cross. So on the night he's born, there's songs of peace, but through his life, death, and resurrection, and then the explanation in the New Testament letters, we learn that this peace doesn't just come automatically. It comes through his sacrifice on the cross. And it comes through faith that that sacrifice was for us. That his death really did pay the price for all our sin. So that everyone who turns from our sin and trusts in Jesus can be confident, not in ourselves, but that all our sins are forgiven. That the gap between us and God that had been created by our sin, that gap has been closed through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in our place. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It's in him and his work for us. Jesus came to bring us peace with God. 
which is the most important piece that we need. And it's the piece that allows us to be different than the world. Because when everything else is going crazy, but we know we're His. We know that He's ours. We know that He has us. We know that we will be with Him and with all His people forever, where there's no more sorrow, no more crying, no more sadness, no more sin, no more death, no more pain, none of it. When we know that, we can have peace, even when our circumstances are crying out for us to have anything but peace. We have peace with God, but Jesus also came to bring peace with one another. It's peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace with God and peace among ourselves. Peace with each other. Christmas, with all its talk of peace, sometimes accentuates the pain of strained or broken relationships. It can be especially acute at Christmas. Where you say, I wish we had a close relationship like we pretend to have. Or I wish I actually wanted to go to that family gathering on Tuesday. You don't have to raise your hands. While we live in this broken world, we still experience brokenness. We still experience tension while we wait for Jesus to come again. It's not all right yet. He's done the big thing to make it right. And he will come again to make every wrong right and to finish the job. On the, on the cross he said it is finished. And at the end of Revelation we read him saying it is done. And right now we live between those two statements. We live between he's finished paying for our sins. And when he says it's all done. No more of that stuff anymore and so we long for that day and even the the pain that perhaps we experience over these next couple days let that be something that makes you long for the peace that's coming forever and work for peace now where you can because we can begin to experience the kind of relationships we were made to experience because when we're brought near to God this is especially with other followers of Jesus Because we're both, we were far off from God and from each other. But Ephesians 2 tells us that we're brought near to God through Christ. And if we're both brought near to God through Christ, we're not only reconciled to God. We can now have peace with each other. We're brought near to God. And by both being brought near to God, we're brought nearer to one another. Ephesians 2.14 says that Christ himself is our peace. He's not just someone who brings peace. He is our peace with God and with each other. And it's not only in families that we have strained relationships. And I don't know all the strained relationships that are represented in this room. But what a better time than Christmas to as much as lies within you be at peace with everyone. And I don't know what that means. There's no prescription. You must do this in the next couple days. But pray. Consider. Ask God. Talk with Him. Revel in the peace that you have with Him. And then ask how you might pursue peace with that person whose face is on the screen of your mind right now. Peace with God. Peace with one another. And this peace is not just 
for us. His peace has come all the way to us so that it may flow through us to others so that they can know his peace too. Christ, the humble Savior, comes to the humble in order to save them. And not just to save them, but to commission them with the message of good news of great joy. So let's not keep the good news to ourselves. It's for all the people. And that's still true today. In Acts, when Paul's preaching, he says, Now God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. Everyone is called to respond to this good news with faith, with worship, and ultimately with joy. So a key takeaway here that he came to bring us peace is that God and man are reconciled through Jesus. That's an important part of the story of Christmas. Not just a a baby being born, but a baby who would bridge the gap between God and man. God and man are reconciled through Jesus. Are you amazed that God's salvation has come all the way to you? That God has fulfilled his promises in your life. Turn your heart toward him in praise and toward others to tell of his salvation. The promised Savior is born in humility and destined for glory to bring us peace. Let us join the song of the angels, the witness of the shepherds. Let us respond appropriately to this good news. We're all called to respond and to receive this Savior as our Lord. The angel said to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He was born as a gift from God to the shepherds and to us. The greatest gift That we could ever receive. Will we make room for the Savior? Will we trust Him? Will we submit to Him as our King? Because this is only good news of great joy for those who believe the good news and worship the Savior. Let's follow Him like Mary. We haven't talked about her much today, though she's an important player in the story of His birth. Let's follow him like Mary in simple faith and obedience. The last verse of our text today, verse 21, simply notes that they named him Jesus, which was the name that the angel had given him before he was conceived in the womb. Just like the angel told them to. It's a simple act. The angel said, this is what you're going to call him. And she did. After saying to the angel last week, Let it be to your servant according to your word. She, in faith, has the baby. And in faith, names the baby the Savior, Jesus. We're told that Mary's treasuring up all these things. She's pondering what it means. And in faith, taking the next step in front of her. What's the next step of following Jesus for you? For some here today, maybe it's trusting him for the first time as your savior and as your king. Seeing that his sacrifice on the cross really did pay for all your sins. And really will make it so that that, that feeling that you've always had that there must be more than this. This cannot be all. That you're right. But the solution is not in anything here. 
It's not in trying to make it last. The solution had to come down from heaven for us. And his name is Jesus. Trusting him, we can have life with him both now and forever. Perhaps it's identifying with him in the waters of baptism, like he identified with you in his birth and in his life of humility. Maybe it's worshiping and praising him in the midst of difficult circumstances where you feel like salvation is not coming soon. But your faith is enlivened today to say, no, it's really coming because he really came. And so even before those circumstances change, you can praise him. You can worship him. You can give him glory. The shepherds were still shepherds at the end of the story. They were just shepherds who had seen the Savior and been changed. Maybe it's making peace with that person who's not worth your time. Maybe it's telling the story of God's salvation through Jesus to someone who doesn't yet know him. May God open our eyes by his spirit this Christmas to see the promised Savior who's born in humility and destined for glory to bring us peace. This is the greatest gift we could ever receive. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you have sent your Son the best gift. Help us to receive him as we ought. To receive him as Savior, to receive him as the promised one, the Messiah, and as the Lord, the King over all and the King over us. Help us to give him, to give you the honor that you are due, the honor you are worthy of, the praise you deserve, and oh, the joy and peace that will be ours. Would you fill us as your people with your joy and peace by the presence of your Spirit in our lives this day, this week, And until Jesus comes again, it's in his name that we pray. Amen.